We're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 17 <coughs> today as we, excuse me, as we continue in our uh, study of uh, thanksgiving or thankfulness or gratitude or the lifestyle of faith and what it looks like. It's all tied together. It's all part of the same, uh, the same thing. If you remember, uh, we, we studied in Hebrews chapter 11 just a few weeks ago about faith and the lifestyle of faith. And if we're going to be believers, that's that's who we are. That's how we live. That's what that's what happens when you surrender your life for the life of Christ, a life in Christ. And then we talked last week about being like Jesus. And we studied how, you know, obviously we want to be like Jesus. That's the whole idea, right? That's that's what it means to be Christian. But we were studying how, if, how Jesus, in his, in his life, <coughs> excuse me, in his life, he was a thankful person. If you just give me a second, I'm, this is not going to go away, so excuse me for that. Uh, <coughs> sorry. So Jesus, in his life, he was, we, show, we showed uh, several examples of how he was thankful about different things. And we noticed, hopefully, we noticed that he was being thankful ahead of time for things. He was talking to the Father and being thankful for things yet to come in situations. And we hopefully learned and we are asking the Lord to help us to grow into that lifestyle of thankfulness as we walk by faith. Because faith is believing in things that you hope for but yet do not see. So why would we not thank the Lord for his faithfulness as if it was a promise, <laughs> right? So it makes sense to me, if you think about it, to be like Jesus and be thankful uh, all the time, even beforehand. Uh, today, we're going to see some examples of the lifestyle of faith. We're going to see some examples of being thankful. We're going to be some see some examples of uh, how this plays out. But first, before we go to Luke chapter 17, turn over to Romans chapter 12. <coughs> And I, I just want to point this out. We studied this uh, chapter earlier in the year, I believe it was, maybe last year. I can't, I can't remember. Uh, but we studied chapter 12, and we were looking at the Christian life and, and the different aspects of the Christ, Christian life. And let's just look at the first three verses. It's not going to be on the board. It, it just says, uh, verse 1 of chapter 12 in Romans, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service uh, of worship. Okay, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to... To think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each uh, a measure of faith. Okay, the, that's just a, snap, a, a brief snapshot of chapter 12 of Romans, description of the Christian life and the foundations of the Christian life. Notice words like faith. Notice words like grace and mercies. Especially notice words like service of worship. Okay, our lives are to be 
a continuous act of worship toward our God, toward our Savior, the one who died on the cross, the one who gave his life for those who are, are lost. That would be me and you. That would be you and I. Now we can look in Luke chapter 7. Jesus is traveling, and, and he comes across these men who were lepers, sick lepers, men, who were outcasts from society. They were suffering greatly in many different ways because of this disease. And they were, according to what we learn about leprosy in Leviticus, they were not allowed to be around people. They had to call out and let everyone know that they had this disease it was horrible and it was not curable at the time outside of Jesus and his miracles. Um, this is what these men were dealing with not only affected them physically, no doubt affected them emotionally and mentally and most likely even spiritually. You ever thought about what it's like to have no hope? This must be what these men were living in, along with every other person in the world who was afflicted by this terrible, horrible disease. Um, Jesus is on his way to the cross, basically. He's not yet there, but he's working his way to the triumphal, triumphant entry moment. And this is where he runs into these ten men who call out to him from a distance. Look in verse 11 as we read. I'm going to come back to Romans 12 because uh, I wanted to point out what the book of Romans teaches us about our life as a Christian, our lifestyle as a Christian, and I want you to think about those words I pointed out because they're going to come into play here in verse 11 of chapter 17 in Luke. It says, while he, while he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So here they are. They obviously know about him, at least. They called out to him by name, called him Jesus. They raised their voice from a distance and said, hey, Jesus. Right? And the, the other thing that they said was, Master. When they called out to Jesus, out of their despair out of their hopeless situation, when they called out to Jesus, the one that they uh, obviously believed or hoped that could do something about their situation, they called out to Jesus, the one they most likely heard about, they referred to him as master, which would insinuate that they know something more about him than just his name. Yeah. So they called him master. Sur surrender or submission to his authority 
over their life. And they cry out, have mercy on us. I mean, what do they have to lose, if you think about it, in, this, in their situation? What do they have to lose? They recognize his authority, they surrender to his leadership, and they call him by name, his powerful name. Maybe they knew, maybe they didn't know about the power of the name of Jesus, but they certainly had heard about the great things that he had done, and they certainly were hoping that he would respond, right? No one, no one really calls out to Jesus, saved or not saved, without some hope that he might respond. Think about it. Notice that they raised their voices. It says, it says that he, uh, he, they stood at a distance and met him, and it says they raised their voices. They're, they're in such a situation that they could care less what any person on the planet thinks about them at this point. Because they already know what most people think about them anyway. They're cast out. They're unclean. They're, be, they're made to yell out that they're unclean. And their hopeless situation causes them to not care about what people think about them or their situation. They just need relief. They just need relief. You know, it makes me wonder when any one of us cry out to the Lord, are we conscious about what other people might think about that? Are we considering what people may or may not feel or say or believe about the way that you cry out to the Lord when you cry out to the Lord, when you call out his name? Are we, does it hinder our prayer life? Does it hinder the way we approach our Savior because we consider how people might react to it? Just a thought as we move along. They're asking for mercy. They're responding to Jesus as a master, as Lord, someone who could help. And then in verse 14, look what it says. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. As they were going, they were cleansed. So Jesus does respond. He hears them. He sees them. He doesn't just walk by them and act like uh, they're not important or act like they're shunned from society. These are unclean people. They are contagious and unclean. They are not to be uh, interacting with people. They're not to be uh, in any place where other people are, uh, are gathered. They can't go to worship. They can't go and offer sacrifices. They can't go to the market. They can't do anything. And Jesus acknowledges them. Isn't that encouraging? Doesn't that make you glad that Jesus doesn't just walk by people when they call on him? They're asking for mercy. They're basically saying, Lord, we need some relief. Heal us. Heal this problem. Make this go away. Do something with this. And he just tells them to do something. He tells them what to do. He tells them what they should do. He doesn't say what he's going to do. He gives them instructions that they are to do. Think about it, y'all. There is a reason a really good reason that God has made available His Word even to us today. When we lift up our hearts and our, our voices to the Lord 
and we call out to him, have mercy, or Lord, help or this, or help that, or Lord, give me this, or help me, guide me. There's, word, there's a word that tells us what to do in response to our prayers and supplications. This is the way the Lord works. This is the way the Lord operates. But here's the thing. He told them to go and show themselves to the priests. That's odd. It seems like an odd thing for you and I to hear about because we're not in the habit of living under the law that's found in Leviticus, right? Where, where if, if someone has uh, become sick with this disease, they are to go to the priest and they are to determine whether or not they actually have this disease and whether or not they need to quarantine themselves for life and be shunned from society. Or if for some reason they've been healed of the disease, they would also determine that as well. So Jesus just simply out of the culture and because the law says so, he says, okay, go show yourself to the priest as if they were healed already. Why would they go show themselves to the priest? They've already been there years ago when they first got sick, however long they've been sick, they've already been there and, de and it was determined that they were sick. Why would they go back unless they were not sick anymore? Last week, we talked about how Jesus would say things to the Father and thank him for things that haven't even happened or that were about to happen. And he's saying to these men, these ten men who called out to Jesus for mercy, and he says, okay, go and, go and show yourself to the priest. Go act as if it is done. Now, how many of us I think this is a question that should be answered between you and the Lord, but how many of us would sit, down, sit there and wait for our, the evidence to be there before we actually go? Hello? How often does that happen? Are we waiting for answers to our prayers when we call out to the Lord and we're just waiting and waiting and waiting and we're not doing what the Word of God tells us to do because we haven't seen the evidence? of God's response to such prayers. Now, you and I are not crying out to the Lord for relief about leprosy. So, some are crying out to the Lord for some relief of some other sickness. So, some are crying out to the Lord for some relief from some other kind of sinful stuff in their life. Some are crying out to the Lord for different things that we need relief from. All of us need, need relief at times from something. When we cry out to the Lord, are we listening to his response? Are we looking for his instruction and preparing ourselves by faith to react to what he tells us to do? Right? That's verse 14. It says, as they were going, they, they were cleansed. All ten men were healed of their physical sickness. All ten of them. All, every, all ten of them were going, it says. They responded to Jesus, his instructions, and they started to go. They were obedient to, to doing what he said to do. All ten of them. And they were all healed. That's an amazing praise the Lord moment, wasn't it? 
right? And, and, and it's like, okay, there's always something to do, y'all. There's always something to get involved with. And I'm, I'm constantly being reminded and I'm trying to uh, help other people know and be aware that we don't just say off, rattle off all our prayers to our Savior, the one who died on the cross, and then sit down in our recliners with our remote controls, flipping channels, waiting for him to answer. That's not how it works. If we're going to be people who are living a lifestyle of faith, we listen to James when he says, faith without deeds is dead. If we are going to have faith and trust our Savior, trust the Word of God, we need to be prepared to do. It didn't say they were healed and then they went. It says while they were going, they were healed. They became well. They had mercy and relief was given to them in the process of going or doing what was instructed for them to do. You notice every time Jesus gives instructions to folks, every time he's interacting with someone who's in, 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 in need like this, he's always saying for them to do something. He's always looking for what they're doing. Because faith and deeds go together. Faith and doing, faith and action go together. The action is a product of what you put your faith in, what you trust. That's what we studied, the lifestyle of faith, Hebrews chapter 11. It gets better. Well, for, some, for one of them. Look at Luke chapter 17, verse 15 and 16. Now, they're all healed. They're, they're going to the priest. And it says, now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at the feet, give, at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Ah. Now wait a minute. He's not doing what he was told anymore, is he? He was told to go show himself to the priest. He stopped doing what he was told and began to do something different. Seems like that doesn't, that's not how it works. But look, I'll, I'll first let's study his response and then we'll talk about how Jesus felt about that or thought about that. One of the ten, the, when he noticed that the sickness was gone, and I, I have to believe that all ten of them would have noticed that the suffering was gone. As extreme as leprosy was and, and how bad it was about the physical sickness and torture and the, the skin uh, de decay or, or tearing off of your, of your flesh and you, the cartilage on your face deteriorating. It's just horrible. And suddenly it's all better. They, there's, I, I just can't believe that none of them, they all, they all had to notice. But one, only one, Turn back to do what? To glorify God. Only one glorified God. Only one. He didn't just glorify God. He glorified God with a loud voice, y'all. Still not caring about the world around him and what the world thinks about his actions. 
Still not caring about what the world thinks, about what he says or does or believes. Only knowing and only realizing that once he was sick, once he was dying, and now he's not sick, and now he's not dying. Because he cried out to Jesus the Master. He said he glor- it says he with a loud voice turned back to glorify God. How did he do that? Well, verse 16 says he fell on his face at his feet. That's appropriate, don't you think, for Jesus, our Lord and Savior? Don't you think it's appropriate to worship him? But it says, giving thanks to him, y'all. Worship is about offering gratitude to our God. That's what worship is. That's what it always is. We worship out of gratitude. We worship because of who he is and what he's done. That's what glorifies God. That's why we read in Romans chapter 12 where it said, present your bodies as living sacrifices and they should be spiritual acts of worship. Not just some of the time, not just on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or some other day. It's all the time. All the time. Glorifying God. And then it's the last sentence in, in these verses, in verse 16 there, it just says, and he was a Samaritan. It's, it's just almost odd that it's there like that. But remember, Jesus is talking, teaching to his, his disciples, right, who are not Samaritans. It's almost like he's got that convicting look in his eyes when he's saying it to him. Like this dude right here, he's not even, he's not even Jewish. And he's glorifying God. And he's thanking God. And he's recognizing Jesus for who he is. He's understanding where the healing and the grace came from. That he doesn't deserve. Notice that, remember I said he was told to go to the priest. And now he's not doing what he was told. Right? Because the law said, God's law said, go to the priest and take care of this. This is how you deal with this. Well, remember when Jesus came into the world and started teaching uh, his message and teaching the disciples and preparing them to be the church, he said, I didn't come to uh, get rid of the law. I came to complete the law. I make it whole. I make it complete. So we're not dismissing the law. We're, we're just saying, okay, now we don't, we don't need to run to the priest. That's what the, the letter to the Hebrews is all about. So he's right in turning and going back to Jesus. He's right in worshiping Jesus. Because Jesus needs no man to verify who he is and what he's done. Right? Way, way too many times we, we're, looking for, we're looking for God's answers to our prayers, God's answers to when we call out to him, and then when the answer arrives, or the healing arrives, or the mercy or the grace, or the forg- all of it arrives, we see it in the word of God, we've experienced it, and yet we still need to verify it in someone else's opinion. Compare it to somebody else's idea. Get it approved by somebody in the world, right? I don't think, I don't know that we intentionally do things like that, but that's 
seemingly what's going on here. He's like, look, I'm not going to no priest right now. I'm going to worship my Savior. I'm going to worship the Master. I'm going to worship the one who brought healing into my life. And I'm going to do it loudly. Well, verse 17 says, Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? Why does Jesus ask questions he already knows the answer to? Aside from the fact that he's teaching folks. Were there not ten? But nine. But the nine, where where are they? Where's the other nine? Where's the majority of the crowd that you were hanging out with? And then he asked in verse 18, was no one found who returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner? This is the words of our Savior as he's teaching. And he's like, hey, where's that? Where was the, where'd the rest of them go? Only the one who's not, Jew, not Jewish, not one of God's chosen people, they... He's the only one that come back to worship me. He's the only one that gets it. He's the only one that feels a need to lift up the name of God and glorify him. What about the rest of them? Where are they at? He knows he's going to the cross. He knows he's about to go get crucified. He knows how bad it's going to be. He knows the purpose behind it all. He knows exactly what he's doing. And, he's, and he's, I still believe that he's still saying today, where's the rest of them? that I died for. I believe when the day that Jesus comes back, that same question is going to be asked. Here's a few. Where's the rest? Did I not heal them all? Did I not die on the cross for everybody? Where did they go? Why are they not worshiping? Why are they not lifting up the name of my father? And then he gives this instruction right here to this, this one Samaritan. He said, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. And if you study your Bible and you look at Jesus and his teachings and the way he shared things with people, this is not the first time he said something like this to someone. Now, it says in the previous verses, uh, uh, verse 13 and 14, it says, as they were going, they were cleansed. They were healed as they were going. So why is he saying, your faith has made you well now to this man? Because there's a difference between physical healing and spiritual healing. And only one that Jesus said this to in this situation. There was only one who lifted up the name of the Father, praised God loudly, unashamed, who appropriately gave thanks to our Savior. So he says, your faith has made you well. I wonder if we understand 
that it takes obedience driven by faith to enter into this place. Not just obedience. Not just working hard to be a good Christian. Not just working hard to make sure that I'm at church when I'm supposed to be there so I can clock in and clock out so that when I get to die, I can go to heaven. I wonder if we understand that it's faith, it's our faith is how we're saved in the, in the beginning. Do, what do you believe about Jesus the Christ? What do you believe about his work on the cross? About what the word of God says about all of that? What do you believe about your sin? And based on what you believe, have you decided to put your faith in Jesus, not only as Savior, but as Lord? I think sometimes we, we, we don't preach the gospel thoroughly enough to folks. And when they come forward and say, I want to be saved, we take the confession of, of Christ and we ask them if they're going to repent and then we baptize them into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and we celebrate, but we don't teach them what that means. We don't teach them about complete surrender. We don't teach them about the new way of life. We're not teaching them about this is not just so you can go to heaven. It's part of it. It's great, isn't it? This is about being made holy because he's holy. Being made holy should instigate this desire, this overwhelming desire to worship him in gratitude and lift up his name and glorify him because of who he is not just because I get to go to heaven. Right? There's nine other men that when Jesus said go and do something, they believed him. They took him at his word and went and did it and they were healed physically. But they failed to recognize his lordship. They failed to recognize his holiness. They failed to recognize that it was God who healed their sickness. And that he deserves to be worshipped and glorified. And that it's the most important thing that to, to drop every other thing and do that with your life. <laughs> they cried out, those nine, they cried out, Master, have mercy, remember? They said, Jesus, Master, all of them, they cried out with loud voices, Jesus, Master, have mercy. But only one came back. So that tells me there was nine fellas that basically were providing some lip service to get what they needed from God. And there was no follow through with their faith. Their faith wasn't genuine. They believed that Jesus could help. And when they cried out and he gave them instructions, they believed and took his word. That if they did what he said, that they would be healed. And they were right. But they never put their faith in him as Lord and Savior. So therefore, they never heard those last words, stand up and go, your faith has made you well. 
There's a lot of people in the world that God blesses in many ways. God brings healing in their life, relief in their life, but they never come to the point where they put their faith in him in such a way that they spend their lives glorifying his name, worshiping him in gratitude. Y'all understand, Jesus is our Savior. He went to the cross for me and for you. He didn't have to do it. God loves us so much that he would send Jesus to the cross so that we could have a chance to put our faith in him and be healed and be heard when we cry out for that healing. Only one. We all know that Jesus taught that narrow is the way to salvation, and few will take that way, and many will take the wide path which leads to destruction. That's what this whole account, this whole story is all about. Not many are really going to worship him. Not many are really thankful and grateful and worshiping God and glorifying his name because of our salvation, because of our healing. Not many are doing that. I hate, I hate to even say this out loud, but there's some around the world that are sitting in church right now that are not doing that. I think about when Jesus fed thousands of people with just a few pieces of fish and some bread, right? Because he, he knew they were hungry and they needed food. So he made it happen. And they enjoyed it. They were eager to partake in the provision. And then when he started teaching and preaching, they're out. If you read the account, it says, they, they, they said, this teaching is too hard for me. I'm out. I don't want this. With their full bellies, they rolled on. They got what they wanted from Jesus, and then they moved on. And missed out on what they needed from him. Too many, too many times people uh, think that if they just do what the Bible says that they'll make it into heaven. Not realizing that it's by faith that we cry out to God, and it's by faith that we accept His healing from our sins and the consequences of. It's by faith that we worship our Savior, our Creator. It's by faith that we lift up His name and glorify Him. It's by faith that every day we live lives that say to Him, Thank you, Lord. Now, I don't know, maybe some of you by now have realized that it was only last year, on the Sunday before Thanksgiving, that I preached out of this very same text. Some of y'all are like, really? The rest of you are like, yeah. You remember, remember I said, let's be the one? Remember that? Be the one. Same text, similar message, different reason, different purpose, different point. It's by faith anybody saved. Faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Not, in, not, not simply believing that God loves everybody so we're all going to, he to heaven. 
That's not it. It's faith and what faith is all about. Thanking the Lord in advance. None of us in this room have received the full reward yet, have we? Don't you look forward to it? And it's something you get excited about, thinking about going to be with God one day. It's, it's, it's kind of funny. I say this all the time. It's kind of funny to me that we're like, we praise the Lord because we're going to go to heaven one day. But then we're like, whew, I'm glad he woke me up this morning. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a battle, isn't it? Am, am I going to live today? Are you going to live the, the, the air that we breathe, the moments that we have, whatever the Lord gives us? Is it going to be lived in a way that says to our Savior, thank you? To God be the glory. Not just to God be the glory in this moment, but to God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Right? That's who we are because of what we believe. And not just because of what we believe, but because of who we put our faith in. Only one returned. If he's our Lord and Savior, look, does he not deserve to be thanked? You ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about what it's going to be like the moment you leave this world and you're in the presence of eternity, you're in the presence of the Lord, our Creator, in the presence of the one who died for you? You ever thought about that? And I hear people talk about, well, when I'm in heaven, I'm going to hang out with my family, and I'm going to, and you might, you might, I don't know, you might. But I don't want to hurt your feelings. I love y'all, but I'm probably going to be pushing y'all out the way because I want to see my Savior. Because that's what it's all about. If you, if, you could, if you could be in the presence of Jesus today, and, and your life is over on earth, and you're in the presence of Jesus, do we really think words would ever come out of our mouth? What words would you pick? Are there any words to say how grateful we would be? And I believe that the Bible teaches us when it comes to God and our relationship with him, actions speak louder than any word from any language. So when, when Romans teaches us that our lives are to be spiritual acts of worship, living sacrifices, our lives are to be what glorifies God. What brings attention to God and his holiness and his greatness and everything about him so that the world can see that our God is real. Not only that he's real, but that he loves me, that he loves you. So much so that we can't contain it. So that people might say to themselves, man, if this God is real and he loves that person, Maybe he loves me too. Maybe he died for me too. Maybe I need somebody to die for me like that. And it just goes on and on. Until they one time cry out to Jesus, the master for relief and mercy. And as they begin to do what the Bible, the word of God teaches us to do. Repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Begin to study your word. Begin to pray on a daily basis. Begin to be a disciple. They will realize that they're healed. They will notice that they're healed from the sin problem that we all had. 
And when they notice that, they begin to want to desire, they want this, they have this great desire to go and praise God loudly. Lift up his name and worship him and thank him. This is why it's hard to believe that any person who's genuinely saved, genuinely saved, would never, ever come and worship together. Well, no matter what day it is, Sunday morning, Saturday night, Wednesday night, Thursday evening, when the church, when the body of Christ is worshiping, why aren't they around? How, often, how, 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 how could we miss out? Why wouldn't we drop everything to worship him and thank him in this way on a regular basis? This is why you can't be the church by yourself. Hello? Does he not deserve to be glorified? Does he not deserve to be worshipped? Wouldn't we as believers who have put our faith in Jesus because we believe the word of God, wouldn't we have a, have a desire to thank him in such a way that would glorify him and, and bring worship to him? That's the lifestyle of faith, y'all. That's the lifestyle of faith that uh, instigates and produces an, a, a life of gratitude and thankfulness. We should be the most thankful people on the planet. We meaning those who are believers. Not just believers, but people who have actually put their faith in the gospel message. Putting your faith in something means you hear the truth and you believe it and you, you take action to step into it. That's why when, when I teach and all of us teach that uh, the gospel is that if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you should, uh, you should repent of being a sinner, being an enemy of God, confess that Jesus is Christ, which is what them fellows were doing when they loudly cried out, right? And then you'd be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And the argument that we get all the time is, is those are all works. Baptism's a work. If this and that's a work. So is confessing Jesus is Christ. Saying a word is a work. With your mind, making a decision to believe the truth is a work. All of those works are a product of your faith in what Jesus did on the cross. We're saved by what Jesus did on the cross. Nothing else. And if we put our faith in that, we begin to do things like believe, confess, repent, be baptized, read your Bible, say prayers, worship, do ministry, love people, love God, stop doing this, stop doing that. All in the Bible is all these do's and don'ts that have to do with what you put your faith into. I love you and the Lord loves you. We're going to stand together and sing a song. You ready? We're going to stand together and sing a song uh, 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 of invitation. If you're not saved, that's what, uh, this is the time to do that. Put your faith in Christ, and you can begin to worship as well.